0: You know, over the last year, we've talked a lot about saving lives, haven't we? Wash your hands, save lives. Keep your distance, save lives. Wear a mask, save lives. And it's been all about saving lives. But it's been interesting that as we've been trying to save people's lives from germs, the way we've been speaking to people in many cases has become more violent. It's become more aggressive. It's become more uh, detrimental. It's become more divisive. I don't think I've ever experienced a time where there's been more division among different groups of people. I don't think I've ever experienced a time where, where people are cancelled on social media or, or in different platforms because somebody doesn't agree with their words. And a like God this week began to speak to me, I actually was meant to be preaching on a completely different subject. Becky earlier in the week asked me what I was preaching on and I told her. And then, I actually haven't even told her, the, night, the following night I had a dream. And it's the first time I've ever had a dream where God has told me what to preach on, on Sunday. I really just wish I'd done it on Monday and not on Wednesday. But I had a vivid dream. And uh, in the dream, God began to show me different places in my life where I'd been using words wrongly. He began to show me where I'd been sharp with people. He began to show me where I'd been angry with people. He began to show me where I'd used words in a way that wasn't uh, honoring to his name. And then even in the dream, he began to give me different scriptures from uh, Proverbs and different things. And so I woke up at about three or four in the morning, and it was as clear as could be. And then the next morning I woke up, and I forgot a little bit about it. But then as the day went on, I, I remembered. And, and so today I want to speak about speaking life. I want to speak about the words that we say. Because like I say, I have found recently, and maybe, you know what, I can come up with all sorts of reasons, and we all do this, don't we? I'm tired. I'm fed up. The last year's been hard. You know, I've had another holiday cancelled. You know, our son was social distancing from school for two weeks. Then, first day back... He's t- there, there's an electrical fire in the school, and they're told they might be off for another two weeks. Like, like that's the sort of thing that, that makes you use words that aren't in the King James Bible right there. That you have to uh, have now four weeks with your uh, little cherub at home. And, uh, you know, and I found myself, I, I was getting frustrated, I was getting angry, I was getting snappy, but ultimately I was trying to rationalize it, and I was trying to justify it. And God began to speak to me and say, Craig, this is not the way I want you to speak. And I want you to talk about this on Sunday because I want my people to be a people who speak life, not death. I want my people to be a people who speak hope and healing, not destruction and not harm. And so we need to understand this, that words are powerful. I should know that. I have a degree in communication. My wife is a speech therapist. We should know that. And yet so often I've found myself using words. Like the Monday past, we were up on the North Coast. And those of you who have kids... Don't sit judging me right now. Because do you know when they get on your last nerve? Like, you, especially, you've driven the whole way up. You've listened to every story that they've told you already. And you get there, and they start just acting up. And, and just being, you know, and, 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 and just, we were walking along. And it was a beautiful day. And we'd got a place on the Strand Beach. And it was just perfect. But I just was, I lost I said words, I mean, they weren't horrendous, but I said words to my little boy that, that I shouldn't say. And again, I was like, oh, well, if he hadn't been acting up and if he, you know, if he, but you know what? Ultimately, I'm responsible for what comes out of my mouth. So this morning, you're kind of listening to Craig preaching to Craig, okay? But you can judge me if you want. But by the end of it, I'd imagine you'll probably think I'm like that too. Because we're all in the same boat. Don't ever think that I'm standing above you guys. I know physically I'm on a little bit of platform here, but I'm preaching to myself up here. I'm talking to Craig this morning. You just kind of get to listen in on the conversation. Words... Are powerful, but we use them so often. Apparently, the average person uses sixteen thousand words a day. Now, some of you skew that a little bit higher, but uh, but on average, we 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 speak sixteen thousand words a day. They're so much a part of our lives, from the moment we get up to the moment we go to sleep. We remember the first words our kids said, don't we? We all hope it's going to be Dada and the mum hopes it's going to be Mama and it's normally the dog or or something like that. But we, we introduce ourselves using words. We ask people out on a date using words. We propose using words. People get an impression of who you are through the words that you speak. We make promises and vows and commitments using words. When you go for a job interview, the words you say Will often determine your ability to get the job. And then, when you get the job, your ability to interact and communicate and relate to the people in the workplace will often determine how far you go within that job. We ask Jesus into our hearts using words. We pray using words. We talk on the phone. We chat in the cafeteria. We banter with our friends using words. We buy and sell using words. We bond and connect with people through words. We text and we email and we post on social media using words. Because we use so many words, sometimes we forget just how powerful they are and the impact that they can have on the world around us. And here's the thing about words. Words don't take long to say, but the the impact can last much longer than the words. I guarantee you, every person listening to this can remember something that was said years ago. By a teacher, by a parent. By someone who you looked up to. There'll be somebody in church. And you can remember what they said because it left a mark on you. I have two tattoos on me on my on my body, like not just in my in my pocket. Um and the, I the first one I got I, you know, I was never really big into tattoos and when I was uh, when I was I can't even blame it on stupidity in my youth. I was 30 when I got the first one. Um, it was when I got ordained and I thought, how will I celebrate getting ordained? Will I hold a Bible study? No, I'll go and get a tattoo. And, uh, and I went and got a tattoo and, and it was painful and I said I'd never do it again. Um, those of you who have tattoos will know, it's lovely getting a needle pushed into your tender flesh, we think, for, for a while. And, and I got this tattoo and it was fine, and uh, but then over time I, I didn't really, oh, I just didn't really like it. And then I went to Israel. Have I told you I've been to Israel? Um, I went to Israel five years ago, and, uh, and when we were in Dead Sea, a, a load of the, the girls who were there started making fun of it and calling the tattoo names. Now, I, your dad didn't know what it is. I'm not telling you. Um, but I realised, you know what? This tattoo is not that big, and uh, I don't like it anymore. So you know what I did? I went and got a bigger tattoo. This is news to my folks right now. Um, who are sitting down there? But I went and got a much bigger tattoo because I was trying to take attention away from the one I didn't like. <laughs> and uh, I spent another three hours face down with a, 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 a Romanian guy who was probably a, I think he was a trainee. Uh, no, YTPs sort were of a person uh, like that. Was odd ages me, doesn't it? Um, etching into my tender back flesh and and uh, and and. and and I've got this bigger tattoo now and it takes away from the, the smaller one. And you know what? It might fade over time. It might get wrinkly, but I can't get rid of it. And words are a little bit like that. They leave a mark on us. And they might fade over time, but they scar us. They, they, they leave a wound. And they don't take long to say, but the, the imprint that they have on our hearts can last much, much longer. And here's the thing about words when we're using them. Sometimes we use words and we, we know we shouldn't have used them. And so we do what I did. We try to take away from them by using more words. We, you know, I got a bigger tattoo and we start digging ourselves into bigger and bigger holes trying to distract from the, the lie or the, the thing that we said earlier. And we need to understand that words are incredibly powerful that words impact us, that words are not just uh, things that we throw out there, but once they're out there, you can't get them back. Have you ever texted somebody something that you didn't mean to text them? Like Have you ever texted something about your boss but sent it to your boss? Or about a girl or a guy you liked and you've sent it to them like you press every button on that phone, don't you? Like you rip the battery out. You, you do, it's the one time that we get a signal from O2, if that ever happens in our house. You know, like you do everything, but that always goes through. It's a bit like trying to get toothpaste back into a tube. Once it's out, it's out. And our words are like that. And that's why I believe God wants us, as kingdom people, to start being really careful about our words, because words are not neutral. Words are not neutral, they have power. Look at what Proverbs 12 says, the words of the reckless pierce like swords. Your words leave marks, your words can scar, your words pierce. They leave an imprint on your soul. And that shouldn't surprise us if you're a Christian. Because God is a God who creates using words. Remember back in Genesis when God created the heavens and the earth? For the first first six days, he didn't lift a finger. He spoke. Let there be and there was. Let there be and there was. Let there be and there was. Everything we see around us was created through words. And then on the sixth day, he made Adam and Eve and he formed them. And he we are made in His image and likeness, and that means that our words have creative power. Now, I'm not saying it's not magic or hocus pocus. I'm not saying we can say a table be formed, and a t- I'm not saying a million pounds because that would be wonderful. But, but what I'm saying is that your words, as a as a as a spirit-filled person, as your, as someone who is filled with the, the presence of God, your words create your world. Your words have a huge impact on what you see around you. Words aren't neutral. They have the power to heal or wound, to bless or curse, to speak truth or deceive, to praise or criticize, to bring life or death. And if that seems like an exaggeration, Proverbs 18.21 says this, the tongue has the power of life and death and those who love it will eat its fruit. The message puts it like this, words kill, words give life. They're either poison or fruit. You choose. This little slimy thing in your mouth Partly, it's the strongest muscle in your body. Did you know that? Some of you are like, my guns, my biceps are the strong. No, your tongue is the strongest muscle in your body. And it is not just a little bit of muscle. It is a sword. It is a gun. Or it can be something that brings blessing to people. In so many ways, the quality of your life depends on the quality of your words each day. The direction of your life will be determined by the declaration on your lips. That's what it says in James chapter 3. James was the half-brother of Jesus. And in James chapter 3, he says this. He says that our words steer and move our lives in a certain direction. Look what it says. He says, if we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at ships also. Though they're so large, they're driven by strong winds, yet they're guided by a really small rudder. Whenever the will of the pilot pilot directs, so also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. So he compares the tongue to two things. First of all, he says, you know when you have a horse, you put a little bit of metal in its mouth and you can determine the direction of this huge beast. And then if you think of a huge ship, it's steered by this little rudder at the back under the water that nobody can see. He says that the tongue is such a tiny part of your body that nobody really sees or pays attention to and yet it determines the course of your life. It determines often the direction of your destiny. That your life is largely a result of the words you speak. And that's true. I know there's loads of factors that determine where you are in life right now. But I guarantee you That where you are in your life right now and the relationships you enjoy and even where you are in work, relationships you have with family, a lot of it is to do with words. Words that were spoken are words that weren't spoken because our words create our world. Our marriages reflect the quality of our words. Broken marriages reflect the quality of our words. Our jobs are affected by our words. Our friendships and relationships are affected by our words. When you get together with friends, what do you do? You chat, you talk, you catch up. Our words are what connect us with other people. Friendships are made and friendships are broken through words. Look at what James says next. He's compared the tongue to a bit in the mouth of a horse and a rudder on a ship. Then he says, likewise, the tongue is a small part of a body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest fire is set, or what a great forest is set in fire by a single spark. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. When I was a kid, one day I decided with a friend of mine, Scott, to see if it was true that you could light a fire with a magnifying glass. Um, it was the summer we were in Jervis Street in Portadown where they used to have the bonfire and there's houses there now. But uh, we got a magnifying glass and we were told that if you focused the heat through a magnifying glass, you could uh, start a fire. and It worked, but it worked a little bit too well uh, because it had been a very, very dry summer that year. And within about five minutes, we realized this fire had got completely out of control. Again, there's a confession going on here. Um, it's amazing what you could t- <laughs> tell your parents 30 years later, 40 years later. But uh, we realised this fire had got completely out of control and there were a number of houses not too far away in having the gardens. And my friend and I started to panic. And so we thought, what do we do? We ran to a phone box now for those. Uh, there used to be these boxes on the street that you went and you put coins in. And, uh, but we didn't have to put a coin in because we had to dial 999. And we phoned anonymously the fire brigade and hid up in the trees while they came and put the the fire out that day. I realized something that a small spark can start a big fire. A small spark can start a big fire and it can be incredibly destructive and that's exactly what James is saying here. This little thing in your mouth is like a spark but what it can do is it can bring great destruction and great pain and great loss and great anguish into people's lives. i don 't know about you, but as I look at my relationships and those that have been really damaged over the years it 's been through words I, I We had a really good friends a number of years ago, and we just by the nature of us we, we just we don't, have, we don't have a lot of friends because of Becky's personality. Uh, sorry, that is the worst thing to say when I'm talking about words. Okay, this is why I'm preaching to me. No, we, just, we, just, we don't have a big circle of close friends. Um, and we choose it that way. But they, we had two of the really, really close friends. And, and I worked with one of them. We socialized at the weekend. We were so, so close. And then one day a conversation happened where I I was spoken to in a certain way, and then a number of subsequent conversations happened, and that friendship has never to this day been reconciled. Do I walk around angry? No, I've forgiven them years ago. If they walked in here, I'd probably give them a hug and say, it's good to see them. But there's certain things that once they're said, they can't be unsaid. There's certain things that once they're done, they can't be undone. Yes, you can forgive, but there are certain things... That once they're out, they're out. And they show you what that person is like. And that's actually what Jesus says. Look at what it says in Matthew twelve. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So when that person spoke to me a number of times at that time, what I realized was he wasn't I wasn't just hearing words, he was revealing his heart. Look at what it says. The good person out of the good treasure brings forth good and the evil person out of the evil treasure brings forth evil. I tell you on the day of judgment people will give an account for every careless word they speak. For by your words you will be justified and by your words you will be condemned. That's pretty intense stuff, isn't it? But you know what I love that it says there? By your words you will be justified. Justification is what makes us right before God. And by our words we can come before God and we can repent of words. We can come before God and say, I'm sorry for those words. And we are justified. Justified means just as if I'd never sinned. He wipes it away. But if you don't, if you continually live in a place of speaking pain, speaking negatively, speaking uh, just uh, uh, destruction, Jesus says you're going to be judged for that. Every word is going to be brought up on judgment day. I don't want that. What comes out of us says a lot about What's inside us? Your words matter to God. And I want to look for a few moments at just the four, I call it the, the, the four sins of the tongue. And you'll know that I'm really going to, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on them. Um, but the first one's gossip. Gossip. We love gossip, don't we? I mean, let's be I, Okay, I love gossip. Hello, my name's Craig and I love gossip. I do. There's something so satisfying about it. Look at what it says. Proverbs 20:19. A gossip betrays a confidence. So avoid anyone who talks too much. Some of us need to underline that. Avoid anyone who talks too much. What is gossip? Gossip is when we spread private rumours or facts. Notice I said facts, not just rumours. Because some of us think, well, if it's true, it's not gossip. Do you know what makes it gossip? If it's not in the public domain. If it's not out there for everyone to know. That's what makes it gossip. But I love gossip. There's something lovely, especially if you don't like the person. Isn't there something lovely when somebody comes and tells you something that just confirms everything you've ever thought about them? Like we love gossip. There's just something about it. Look at what it says in Proverbs. 18. The words of a gossip are like choice morsels. They go down to a man's innermost parts. Those little bits, uh, you go to a party and they've got like cocktail sausages and sausage rolls and we chicken goujons and you think, Oh, I'll just have one. Then forty six cocktail sausages later, you're like, you know, that's what it's like. You just oh you just you feed on it and it feels so good, it tastes so good, but afterwards you're like, oh, you feel a bit icky. Maybe I shouldn't have said that, maybe I shouldn't have listened to that. Gossip is one of the most respectable sins in the church. But we don't call it gossip, you know what we call it concern. I just want to tell you this because I'm concerned about John or if we've been even more spiritual, I'm telling you this just for prayer. I'm not gossiping, I'm just telling you it so you can pray about this, but wait till you hear what happened. You know, more churches have been destroyed through gossip than almost anything else. Families have been destroyed through gossip. Communities have been destroyed through gossip. Relationships have been destroyed through gossip. Here's the problem with gossip, that once something is said, it's out there, and it's very hard to get it out of your head. Even if it's not true, We've all seen those cases where somebody has been accused of maybe uh, attacking a woman, and then they've gone, they've been fired from their job. They've gone through two years of a court case, and then the girl comes out and says it didn't happen. His reputation is shot, one way or the other. A number of years ago, uh, somebody, I, I was going to a church. And the pastor was someone I looked up to. I respected him so much and still do to this day. But I was out one day with somebody who I hadn't met before and they said something about him. And I knew it wasn't true. But every time I saw him for years, that was one thing was in my head. Now, 20 years later, he's still in ministry and I know it's not true. But it started to affect me. That's what gossip does. It's very hard. Once it's out there, it's out there. You know the best way to stop gossip? is just not to start it. And if it started, just to stop it. Let it stop with you. Somebody says they shouldn't be telling you this, just go, you know what? If you shouldn't, let's not. Let's not. Second one is this, lies. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this because, but it says in Proverbs 12, the Lord detests lying lips, but he delights in men who are truthful. Detest is a strong word. God hates lying. Why? Because he is truth. We talked earlier about how God created the earth through his words. But what happened? Where did it all go wrong? When the deceiver, when the liar came along and said, did God really say? Because that's what he does. He tries to twist God's word. You will not surely die. Just eat it. And that's when sin came into the world. You see, the devil is a liar. His native language is lies. It tells us that in John 8. That the devil is a liar. The devil was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth. When he lies, he speaks his native language. But you know what Jesus is? Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So when you tell lies, what you're doing is actually you're coming into agreement with Satan. But when you speak truth, you're coming into agreement with Jesus. Which language do you want to speak? The language of heaven or the language of hell? The language of God or the language of Satan. I want to be a truth-teller. You know why? Because the Bible says you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Truth brings freedom. Lies bring bondage. We're meant to be people of the truth. This is one for us in Northern Ireland, I think. The third one. Negativity and criticism. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe it's everywhere. But I've just found people in Northern Ireland tend to be a wee bit more ne- wee bit more glass half-empty than some places. How are you doing? I'm not too bad. So you're good. I'm not too bad. Would it kill you to say you're good? I'm not too bad. As well as can be expected. I've never seen anywhere else in the world that they say that. Or, you know what, nothing to complain about. And you know what to follow it up with? But who would listen to me? If I did, you're right. Nobody would, because we're sick of it. Nothing to complain. Why not say, I'm doing all right, actually. I mean, all of us have challenges, but yeah. I'm doing all right. Americans are the opposite, aren't they? Like, they could have limbs hanging off, and they're awesome. You know what I mean? But your legs land on the road. I'm still awesome. I've got another leg. Like, Americans just, you know, just go to the other extreme. We can be so negative about things. You know, people like that are such a joy to be around. God hates it. God hates negativity. God hates grumbling. God hates criticism. When he brought his people out of Egypt, remember he sent Moses? We read this. So the people grumbled against Moses. In the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses. Poor Moses. He's been living in the wilderness looking after sheep. At least they don't talk back. Then God sends him to back to Egypt. He didn't want to go back to Egypt. He brings out these people. And all they can do is moan against them, But God actually takes it quite personally. Look at what it says. Look at the second one there, Numbers 14. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron, how long will this wicked community grumble against me? They weren't grumbling against God. They were grumbling against Moses. But because Moses was doing what God had told him to do, God took it personally. I have heard the complaints of these grumbling Israelites. And one day he says, Moses, I just want to wipe the whole lot of them out because I can't listen to this anymore. God takes grumbling. God takes negativity. God takes being critical seriously. And we do try to rationalize it and justify it. You know, I'm just telling the truth. I'm just stating the facts. Possibly, but maybe you don't have the whole picture. Maybe you've got 10% of the picture. What they're doing is wrong. Somebody needs to speak up. Yeah, but have you ever gone to them privately and talked to them about it? it's just constructive criticism yeah but when's the last time you told them that they did something good if it's constructive or one I love just playing devil's advocate the devil has enough people on his team I don't think he needs you on his team why don't you join the other team because it's probably got a better future for you in the long run Philippians 2 says this do everything and that word everything in the Greek means everything without complaining or arguing James 5 9 says don't grumble against each other brothers for if you do you will be judged. In other words, if you want to find fault with somebody else, God's going to start finding fault with you and I don't want that. I don't want that in my life. We all have flaws. Every person here has faults. You, me, every person watching this has faults. If we want to, we can find stuff to complain about. It doesn't take too long. But what if we start stop looking for something to complain about? and start looking for something to bless people with. Start looking for the good. Stop remembering every negative thing they've done, and start remembering the good things they've done. And I'm not saying that you overlook everything. I'm not saying that you never challenge somebody's behavior. I'm never saying that you never have hard conversations, because you do. I always say in leadership, one of my definitions of leadership is someone has more awkward conversations in a month than most people have in a year. There's times when we have to have hard conversations, and actually they can be a sign of of a healthy relationship. So that is uh But what I'm talking about is that just constant negativity, that constant criticism, that constant looking for something that somebody has done wrong. That is not of the heart of God. That is not kingdom, that is from the pit of hell. The Bible says this if you have something against someone, Ephesians or Matthew 18, 15, Go privately and point it out. You know what we do? We tell everyone else and they find out and we have to deal with it. Go directly to them and talk it over with them. And I guarantee you 90% of things would be resolved much, much better. The last one with crude talk and I'm not going to spend a lot of time there. But I just think we need to be careful. And this is something I I love a laugh. I love humour. I love comedy. I love all that. There's just a fine line, isn't there? We all know it. There's a fine line between funny and crude, funny and crass. And as kingdom people who live in a world which is filthy, which is full of immorality, which is full of perversion, the words that come out of our mouth should be pure water. The words that come out of our mouth should represent Christ who we love and serve. Look at what it says in Ephesians 5.4. Nor should there be any obscenity. Foolish talk or coarse joke and which are out of place with thanksgiving. Like I say, it's a fine line and I don't want us to stop having a laugh. But if you can only be funny by being cross or crude, you're probably not that funny. Sorry to break it to you. God's people are not people who speak filth We're people who speak life and hope and we're going to get to that now. Having looked at the negative side that words can bring death, words can bring destruction, words can bring pain, There's a flip side in that. That there's so much power in words that you can bring life. You can bring hope. You can bring healing. You can bring grace into a situation. Just five minutes and we're going to be done. Two things I've got to say here. The first one is encouraging words. Encouraging words. Proverbs 16. Pleasant words are a honeycomb, sweet to the soul and healing to the bones. When you encourage someone, it literally means to speak courage. It means to, instead of looking for what they're doing wrong, look at what they're doing right. Instead of calling out what they've done wrong, call out what they're good at. We all need encouragement. Over the last, after the last year we've had, we all need them. Who doesn't need encouragement? We all need some encouragement at the minute. Isn't it lovely when somebody encourages us? There's such a lack of it. Because I think we've all got a little bit self-focused over the last 15 months. But when somebody actually takes the time to to drop you a message to encourage you. You know, I got a letter this week, a four-page handwritten letter. Who does that anymore? From a lady who doesn't come here, but she started watching online last year when her, her life was in a really, really, really bad place. And I've never met this woman yet. But she just wrote four pages to thank me and, and Hope Church for, for our ministry, for, for what we've done. She said literally, somebody, her friend on Facebook shared our, our live stream, like some people are watching now, and she started watching, and from that day, things started to turn. And literally, her life turned around. And she just said, this is long overdue, but I just want to say thank you. That blessed me. Why not this week take five or ten minutes and think, who, who can I bless? Who can I encourage? Who can I tell? You know what? You're really good at this. Thank you for doing this. You know what you're doing when you're doing that? You're actually, you're you're prophesying over their life. You're, you're, you're uh, you're, You're speaking God's truth over their identity. That's really, you know, when we think about prophecy, sometimes you think of like Mystic Meg and seeing into the future, you know, and what's going to happen. And that's not, like that is an element of it. But you know what prophecy is? It starts with encouragement. That's what Paul says. Look at 1 Corinthians 14. Let love be your highest goal, but you should also desire special abilities the Spirit gives. In other words, gifts of the Spirit. We've been talking a little bit about that in the last week or two. Especially the ability to prophesy. Why? One who prophesies strengthens others, encourages them, and comforts them. Do you want to prophesy? Start encouraging everyone you know. As you're reading your Bible in a verse, jumps out and say, God, who could I send that to today? Who would be blessed by that today? Tell somebody what you like about them, what they're doing well. Express heaven's heart for them. Release the Father's desires over them. When I was 16, some of you have maybe heard me tell this story before. When I was 16, I'd only been a Christian a year or two. I was beginning to feel called to the ministry, but my problem was I was so nervous up here. I would stand at the front of assembly or church doing just a Bible reading, and I would shake so badly. I would get so nervous that I would make the words would go blurry and I'd make up the words on the page which were in the Bible you're not meant to do. There's something about that in Revelation. But I would get so nervous and one day I spoke in Pouredown College SU in front of my 120 of my peers and I, I just felt I'd made such a hash of it. It was one of those days and I've had many of them where i I never want to preach ever again. And at the end of it, Mr. Grant, the economics teacher, said, Craig, can I speak to you afterwards in my class? I thought flip it, must have been bad. And... Uh, I went into Mr. Grant's class, and he just for th- just two or three minutes starts saying, "Craig, I believe God's called you to the ministry, and I believe He's going to use you to preach, and I believe that if you will um, if you will immerse yourself in His Word, He will use you." And that was thirty years ago, and it was two minutes, and yet he that those two minutes of encouragement are so much have impacted me so much that. They're partly responsible for me doing what I'm doing today. He, has, he had no idea. I've spoken to him since then. But at the time, he had no idea the imprint that those two minutes would leave in my soul. And you have no idea when you speak to somebody encouragement how that can impact their future. And God is saying, no, I want you to start pointing out the treasure because it's there. So that's the first thing is encouragement. The second thing is speak God's word. Speak God's word. Isaiah 59 says this These words I have given you, they will be on your lips and on the lips of your children and your children's children. In other words, I want my word to be always on your lips. I have met some people, maybe you've met them, who would never say a negative word about somebody else, but they always tear themselves down. They're so encouraging and they're so positive about other people, but they're so negative about themselves. You know, when we do that, we're actually cursing ourselves. We're prophesying over our own lives, but we're prophesying negatively. Maybe you've heard people who say things like this I'll never get a job. I'll never meet somebody. I'm so stupid, I'm an idiot. Nothing ever goes right for me. I never have enough money. I always get sick. No one will ever love me. Or even something like I'm so clumsy. You know when you're doing that, you're, actually the Bible says you're cursing yourself. Why would you do that? And then you wonder why that stuff starts to show up in your life. Because when you plant seeds and you water seeds day after day, don't be surprised if what's in those seeds grows. In Galatians it says we reap what we sow. That is a biblical principle that it cannot be overruled. You will reap what you sow in your life. So why not speak life-giving words? Words of blessing. Words of encouragement. Words that reflect the way God sees you. Align your words with God's word. Because you are who God says you are. You're not a failure. You're not unlovable. You're not clumsy. Do you know what the Bible says about you? It says you're a child of God. It says you're loved, you're called, you're chosen, and you're forgiven. It says you're a new creation in Christ. It says it's not you who lives, but Christ who lives in you. It says that you can do all things through Christ who gives you strength. It says that no weapon formed against you shall prosper because you are more than a conqueror through Christ and that nothing can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. It says that you're free from condemnation because you're in Christ and that all things work for your good. By Jesus' stripes you are healed. You have the mind of Christ and goodness and mercy are following you all the days of your life. You're no longer a slave to sin, but you're a slave to righteousness. The Lord is your refuge and your strength and your God shall supply all your needs according to his riches. That's what God's word says about you. That is the truth about who you are. Not what some teacher said about you 30 years ago or what some parent said about you 40 years ago. It is what God says about you. That is the truth. And it's not pop psychology. It's not positive thinking. It's the Word of God. So stop believing lies. Stop speaking lies. Stop speaking curses over your life and speak life-giving words. Speak the Word of God. Speak the truth of you we sing, I am who you say I am. Why don't we start believing that? I do this on my own life. I speak blessing over my family every day. I speak blessing over my household. I speak blessing over my wife. I speak blessing over my son. I speak blessing over Hope Church. I speak blessing over my ministry. I speak blessing over my finances. I speak blessing over my health. And you know what? It hasn't done much harm. I'm not saying everything's perfect. I live in a fallen world. But it hasn't done any harm. Why not try it? Why not just get up tomorrow and go, God, I speak blessing over my, my family. I speak blessing over my household. You know where some of this came from? I was starting to study. I'm going to preach on Jacob in the summer. And remember, he saw, uh, the, 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 Jacob stole Esau's birthright. Just the power of words. that like Once the blessing was... Was given it, It he couldn't get it back. And just there's something about words when we speak blessing over our families, over our homes, over our situations. Don't be surprised if good things start to show up. It's better than cursing them. Let me finish with a story. Let me finish with a story. I only read this this week for the first time. Many years ago, a professor from a well known Bible college in America was on holidays with his wife in, in Tennessee. One morning, they were eating breakfast at a little restaurant, hoping to enjoy a quiet family meal. While they were waiting for their food, they noticed a distinguished-looking white-haired man moving from table to table, chatting with all the different guests. The professor leaned over and whispered to his wife, ''I hope they don't come over here.'' But sure enough, the man eventually did amble over to their table. ''Where are you folks from?'' he asked in a friendly voice. ''Oklahoma,'' they answered. ''Great to have you here in Tennessee,'' the white-haired stranger said. ''What do you do for a living?'' I teach at a Bible college, the professor replied. Oh, so you teach preachers how to preach to you? Well, I've got a really great story for you. And with that, the gentleman uninvited pulled over a seat and sat at their table. The professor groaned and thought to himself, here we go, just what I need. Just another cheesy sermon illustration that I've probably already heard, but I'm going to have to sit through it and smile. The old gentleman pointed out the restaurant window. And he said, do you see that mountain over there? Not far from the base of that mountain, there was a boy born to a poor, unwed mother. He had a very hard time of it growing up because every place he went, he was always asked the same question. Hey boy, where's your daddy? Where's your daddy? The identity of the illegitimate child father, child's father was a mystery. The town gossips were constantly trying to figure it out. So when he was at school or... The grocery store people would ask him the same question. Where's your daddy, son? Where's your daddy? Sometimes the question came innocently from a stranger, but it was usually asked out of meanness and spite. He dreaded it. He would hide at break and lunchtime in school. Many times he wouldn't go out in public because the words hurt him so badly. On Sundays he would arrive in church late and leave early so that he wouldn't get asked, where's your daddy? Then when he was about 12 years old, a new pastor was assigned to his church. And on that day, the pastor finished the benediction so quickly that the boy got caught and had to walk out with the crowd. Just about the time he got to the back door, the preacher saw the unaccompanied child, put his hand on his shoulder and said, Hi there, son, where's where's your daddy? A sudden hush fell over the exiting crowd. The boy felt his face flush as he sensed every eye in the church behind him looking at him. How would he answer? This new pastor instantly sensed the awkwardness of the situation and, following a prompting from the Holy Spirit, quickly followed his question with these words Wait a minute. He said, Wait a minute. I know who you are. I see the family resemblance now. You're a child of God. With that, he took hold of the boy's shoulders, looked him square in the eye, and said, Son, you have a great inheritance. Go and claim it. A smile bigger than anyone had ever seen flashed across the boy's face. And with that, he walked out the church door a changed person because of the words that were spoken to him that day. From that day forward, when anybody asked him about his daddy, he just told them, I'm a child of God. The distinguished gentleman then got up from the table in the restaurant and said, isn't that a great story? Touched by the story, the professor admitted, yes, it's a really great story. As the old man walked away, he turned and offered one final comment. You know, if that new pastor hadn't told me that I was one of God's children, I would probably never have amounted to anything. And then he walked away. The professor and his wife were stunned and deeply moved to discover that the man had been speaking about himself. They called the waitress over and asked, Do you know who that older gentleman is who just left our table? Who is he? The waitress grinned and said, of course. Everybody knows him. That's Ben Hooper, the former governor of Tennessee. And this morning my job isn't to condemn you. It's not to bring guilt. But I believe that the Holy Spirit is at work this morning. And I believe that he wants us to be a people who use our words to bring life. To bring hope. To bring healing. And maybe today we will go from this place and we will start to watch our words and weigh our words a little more carefully. And as we do that, as we speak to others, but as we speak to ourselves, as we speak to our families, as we speak to our friends, I guarantee you that if you will apply this, you will see the fruit of it. You will see blessing. You will see God's favor start to show up. Because your words are so much more powerful than you realize. Let's pray together.